America. We are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela E is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. <laughs> That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yemi's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Oh. Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be scared. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? October 3rd, 2022, coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered Streaming Live on the Black Star Network. Supreme Court started this new term today. Tuesday, the court will hear a challenge to the historic Voting Rights Act that bars voting rules that discriminate based on race. I'll talk to two of the plaintiffs from Alabama. A black federal judge ruled Georgia election practices challenged by a group associated with Democratic Stacey Abrams do not violate voters' constitutional rights. 
Some folks are in their feelings about Vice President Kamala Harris saying the government's Hurricane Eon relief should prioritize communities of color who've always gotten the short end of the stick when getting relief funds. We'll break it down for you because she's not lying. The California high school football team season is over because some of, some of the players thought it would be funny to hold a slave auction. Good. And California is the first state to ensure creative content cannot be used against the creator in a court of law, essentially rap lyrics. And also, Mark Levin. Remember on Friday I said that uh, he called me out saying I would never invite him on the show to debate him? Well, being the punk he is, he hasn't responded to requests to appear on our show. In today's Fit Live Win segment, a nurse with type 1 diabetes and her husband developed a wellness plan for those suffering from the disease. Y'all, it is time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. Alabama is 27% black. They should have two congressional seats, but the Supreme Court put a stop to that being enacted for the November midterm elections. They are going to take up a challenge to the Voting Rights Act that could very well determine whether or not uh, provide a death knell, if you will, to the 1965 Voting Rights Act. Tomorrow, they're going to hear court arguments on the constitutionality of Alabama's Republican-drawn congressional map. A lower court, again, agreed that the redrawn, redrawn congressional map violated the 1965 Voting Rights Act law by having only one district where black voters make up the majority. The Supreme Court removed a provision of the Voting Rights Act and permitted the Justice Department to check election laws in states with a history of racial discrimination. The court will look at a similar voting rights case in North Carolina and also Louisiana in the upcoming weeks where there should be, there were, they, they, there were the lower courts rule, there should be a second majority black district in Louisiana as a third African-American. Joining us now is Kadia Stone, uh, Crest Programs Coordinator and a grassroots community organizer for the Alabama Institute for Social Justice, and uh, Shalay Ladaude, hopefully I got that right, a crowd fellow with the Southern Coalition on Social Justice. Glad to have both of you here. So, so let's break this down. Um, the crazy thing is the, the court's rule, well, the Supreme Court stopped it. Then it was like, oh, there's not enough time to actually redo the districts. Well, we know that's a lie. Same thing in Louisiana. And so when you look at Alabama, 27% of the state population, you look at Louisiana, a third of the state are uh, African-American as well. Uh, and what Alabama has done, the Republicans, they basically packed all the black people into one district, one congressional seat. And without the VRA, uh, we, these, the courts will simply allow Republicans to keep doing that. And what it does is it actually lessens black voting power because you're diluting him, diluting it by putting them all in one district. Um, you are absolutely right. Uh, we should have to, based off our state population, and right now, the black 
the black voting power in Alabama is diluted. And they basically stayed the maps because they didn't want to screw over the candidates who had already filed to run for office this upcoming term. But I say it's always the right time to do the right thing. And so now out, black Alabamians have to go and vote for positions um, that align with a map that's gerrymandered and it, dilute, it dilutes our vote. And look, but well, their strategy is real simple. They want to help white Republicans. Uh, and so uh, it's called it's called packing and cracking, you know, and, and Republicans love to complain about Supreme Court packing, but they got no problem packing black folks in one district to help white Republicans continue to win by diluting the strength of black voters. I agree. Um... So it really comes down to, so with our court case, we're really staying partisan um, and we're just really focused on um, the power of the black vote. Um, and so like you stated with the other Supreme Court cases, um, this isn't a fight for just black Alabamians. It is also a fight for black voters across the South to include Louisiana. Louisiana has a similar case and they were basically told that they'll get their decision based off of what the Alabama decision is. And so I like to say that I feel like this case can be as influential as Brown versus Board of Education, which led to the integration of schools across the South. This case, Milligan versus Merrill, can lead to black people gaining political power across the South in states such as Alabama. Um, Louisiana has their case. And then South Carolina also only has one black congressional district. And so um, I kind of feel like with the map, they gave us that one district where we're packed, and they kind of was like, hey, that's y'all district, district, go sit down somewhere. But we are here to fight, um, to be the voice for our community, and to make sure that um, our power isn't diluted in these upcoming elections. Uh, Karita, go ahead. Yeah, so I just want to say that there are a lot of things at stake right now, and our democracy is one of those. If America claims to be a nation that thrives on a democratic republic, this case is going to determine that uh, based on the Supreme Court's decision and what they choose. Uh, another reason why our democracy is at stake, because specifically Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act says you cannot discriminate based upon age, race, or gender in any voting procedure, and that's exactly what Alabama is doing uh, with these current redistricting maps, and that is the argument uh, that they have, uh, the, the argument that they will be using in this case is about Section 2. Um, so this means that the Voting Rights Act could be weakened even more than it already is. You know, and, and, and the thing here, first of all, the, the reason I chose to go partisan is because it's a fact. Republicans control the legislature. They drew the districts. The same thing is happening in Texas and other places in Florida, where what they want to do is, I mean, in Florida, Ron DeSantis basically uh, demolished uh, the black districts, and then they wanted to be able to, you know, place black folks in other areas uh, where there are safe Republican seats. And so, so there are two ways to screw over black voters. One is packing them in one district, which keeps them from being able to impact other congressional districts. That's one way. Or the flip side is to break up a black district and basically blow it apart into four or five different areas. In fact, that, that's what... Uh, uh, that's what, what Republicans did in Tennessee, where they decimated uh, the, the, the district, the, the seat in Nashville, and so therefore then broke up Nashville, and now it's a part of essentially several congressional uh, districts. So Nashville itself does not have their own congressional representative where most black people live. No, they're not piece, uh, pieces and dispersed to other Republican uh, congressional districts. Mm -hmm.
That um, that same thing can be seen in Alabama. The black belt is actually split, split into three different congressional districts um, to dilute the black voting power. So you see that same exact thing that you just mentioned in Tennessee is in Alabama in our black belt region. And unfortunately, though, you face an uphill battle because it was this Supreme Court, even in the five to four decision, without uh, Coney Barrett being there, it makes it six three. Where Chief Justice John Roberts led the gutting of Section Four, uh, and so you face an uphill battle now trying to convince five justices to side with you. It, luckily, you have these lower court rulings that, that even had Trump appointees who even said, "Damn, this is kind of blatant. Uh, it needs to be at least a second congressional seat." Yeah, I totally agree with you as far as Section Four being gutted. Uh, as we know, Section Four says uh, that any any voting, any jurisdiction that had a history of voter rights discrimination, they had to get their maps approved by the Department of Justice and the Civil Rights Department. And now that we no longer have that opportunity, that's why it's even more uh, imperative that we as people uh, pay attention to this case tomorrow, uh, because it's going to determine whether voting rights, the voting rights of any all Americans at this point, uh, what that would look like in the future. Uh, indeed, indeed. Well, certainly good luck tomorrow. And we'll be watching to see what kind of questions are asked from the bench by the justices. Uh, thanks a lot. Thank you for your support. All right, gonna bring in my panel right now. Uh, to join and talk about this, Dr. Julian Malvo, Dean of College of Ethics Studies, California State University, Los Angeles, Dr. Amakongo Dabinga, Professorial Lecturer, School of International Service, American University, and Renita Shannon, Georgia State Representative. Uh, glad to have uh, all three of you here. Um, you know, this is, you know, this right here, uh, uh, Julian, uh, is, is the thing that black folks, uh, frankly, have been dreading. And that is, again, all of the, the previous uh, victories, being able to now get black folks voting in significant numbers. You had John Roberts, who essentially, essentially said, oh, black people are voting so well, no need for the VRA. That's essentially what he said in gutting Section 4. Uh, you, you had the attack on Section 2 from the Supreme Court uh, uh, case out of Arizona. Now you have this here. Now we're talking about representation. There are 58 members of the Congressional Black Caucus right now. You're able to get uh, that seat in Louisiana, that seat in Alabama. That now goes to 60, and that is the largest caucus out of all caucuses on the Democratic side. And so this is a direct attack on black power. Absolutely. These people are afraid. This is fear of a black planet. These people are simply afraid of black collective power. And Terry Sewell is the only representative in Alabama. She um, is the only, I think she may be the only Democrat, but she holds it up. She's the only person, yes, she is the only, the only person in her delegation who support, supported restoring Section 5. So these folks are afraid that they keep talking about democracy. That's a lie. As a young lady said in your previous segment, they keep talking about the right to vote, but unless you vote, they don't want us voting. They don't want us there. And the fact that this court is 6-3 does not hold well for us. Um, Katanji Brown-Jackson, we love her. We're so happy that she's on the court. But she cannot make much of a difference. Where she will have power is in her dissenting opinions. If this goes down, she will be able, through dissent, to open the door for further challenges to uh, these things that are going on. But it is disgusting, and it, but it's where we are right now, simply where we are right now. Um, look, this is, uh, Renita, uh, I, my, my book, White Fear. That's what we're dealing with here. And, and I, mm -hmm. I keep telling people, okay, why does it say how the brown of America is making white folks lose their minds? This is about power, white fear. These white folks fear 
another black district in Alabama, another black district in Louisiana, because they know, oh, that's going to mean two more Democratic seats in the House. They know that. And so they do not want additional black power. Look, in Texas, with the explosion of the Latino population, there was supposed to be essentially, Texas got several, I think it was like four new seats. The Republicans made like three of them Republican, one Democrat, because they didn't want those Latinos uh, putting in Democratic members. This yeah, is about power. And they want to, they want to keep white Republicans locked in power. You're right. This is about white fear and it is about maintaining power. We saw the same thing happen here in Georgia, where after our census, we saw almost a million more um, new people here in Georgia who were accounted for. It was mostly black and brown folks. And you saw um, that, or you saw, if anybody who's paying attention to Georgia's maps and their redistricting process saw that Republicans who are, their party is almost all white, um, brought out maps that did packing and cracking. And Roland, you covered it on your show when I confronted the bill sponsor, because um, these maps came before my committee, he didn't even know what packing and cracking was. And so we've. this is a well-coordinated, consistent, and funded effort across the country of Republicans doing what they can to make sure that we do not see a fully representative democracy in this country. And in Georgia, it happened from the school board level all the way up to the congressional level. So what your guest said about this being a very important case, she's absolutely right. Because here in Georgia, we so we have a case also, but we we were told, you know, it's too close to the elections. We're not saying that, that your maps are um, legitimate, but we're just saying we can't deal with it right now. We need some Southern state to be able to get this settled in court in a way that is fair and it is equitable so that we can all have a shot at getting legitimate maps. So this is just so important. And I really hope that the general public will start to tune in and just take a look at what is happening across the country to black voters, because it's packing and cracking every state you look that is heavily black and in the South, it's packing and cracking up and down. And all of these folks, Mama Congo, who sit here and say, oh, you know, I don't see what's going on. Black people haven't gotten this, haven't gotten that. This is a direct assault on black people. This is about voting. It is about power. And so people who did not pay attention, you know, to Schoolhouse Rock, need to do so because, look, what they're saying is, we want to keep y'all disenfranchised. Your numbers have grown, but we mm -hmm. don't want you to benefit from your numbers growing. We want you to have to be subservient to white Republicans. That's their strategy, period. Most definitely. And the thing that you both, you said in your segment, which was really powerful, you as well as your guests, you talked about how this is a national issue that everybody needs to be paying attention to. And we know these other networks are not paying enough attention to it. And that's why this election coming up is so important, because as Chuck Schumer said, he gets two more senators. He's able to bring up the voting rights legislation that we've been trying to get that Manchin and Cinema sold us out on. And these types of issues will be the direct target of that type of legislation. So really, at the end of the day, we can't just look at Alabama as an isolated case. We can't look at Georgia or Louisiana as isolated cases. These are the prime examples of what happened when those Voting Rights Act provisions got gutted. We're seeing it firsthand. And you said this every, pretty much every single day. You say it online, Roland, every single day. If we don't get it together now, it's going to, it may be too late going into 20.
2024. We have an opportunity to maintain the House. We have an opportunity to get control of the Senate and have a president in there who's going to fight to make sure that this is not a problem. So for anybody who's saying it doesn't matter, for anybody saying my vote, this is what we need right now. And coming in the next month or so, this might be our last chance for a while to really start to... Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. Put the record straight for our community across the entire country. This is not just about one or two or three states. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. All right, folks. Uh, hold tight one second. We come back on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Y'all look. All these people, they running around, whining and complaining about Vice President Kamala Harris because she said we want to make sure there's equity in hurricane relief. These folks actually haven't read previous stories where black folks in minority communities have not gotten equitable dollars. Yeah, we got receipts. We got them. And also, we got something to say to punk-ass Bill Maher. We have the audacity on his show this Friday to say, oh, drop Harris from the ticket because she's failed politician. We got something to say to you, too. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. If you're on YouTube, hit the like button, the share button. Same thing on Facebook. Uh, folks, let's hit 1,000 likes quickly. 
Uh, let's also download the Black Star Network app, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV, and also join the Bring the Funk fan club. Your dollars make it possible for us to do what we do. And so send your checks and money orders to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. Cash app, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered. PayPal's R. Martin Unfiltered. Venmo's RM Unfiltered. Zale, rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Rolling at rollingsmartinunfiltered.com. We'll be right back. When we invest in ourselves, our glow, our vision, our vibe, we all shine. Together, we are black beyond measure. We're all impacted by the culture, whether we know it or not. From politics to music and entertainment, it's a huge part of our lives. And we're going to talk about it every day right here on The Culture with me, Faraji Muhammad, only on the Black Star Network. Pull up a chair. Take your seat. The Black Tape with me, Dr. Greg Carr, here on the Black Star Network every week. We'll take a deeper dive into the world we're living in. Join the conversation only on the Black Star Network. When we invest in ourselves, we all shine. Together, we are Black beyond measure. What's up, what's up? I'm Dr. Ricky Dillard, the choir master. Hey, yo, peace, world. What's going on? It's the love king of R&B, Raheem Devon, and you're watching Roland Martin, Unfiltered. In Georgia, a black federal judge ruled against fair fight action. The voting rights group founded by Georgia Democratic gubernatorial nominee Stacey Abrams. The lawsuit accused Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, then Secretary of State, of using his position as the state's top elections official to promote voter suppression. U.S. District Judge Steve Jones, an Obama appointee, ruled in favor of the state. Judge Jones found that Georgia's election practices do not violate voters' constitutional rights. Judge Jones uh, said this about uh, the case, although Georgia's election system is not perfect, the challenge practices violate neither the Constitution nor the VRA. This is a voting rights case that resulted in wins and losses for all parties throughout the litigation and culminated in what is believed to have been the longest voting rights bench trial in the history of the Northern District of Georgia. Uh, and so, unfortunately, uh, that's a loss there, Renita. This is supremely disappointing um, to see the decision in this case, because basically what the judge is saying is that um, although some of the practices that are being challenged in court by Fair Fight Stacey Abrams group um, may not be the best practices, people, black voters have been surviving and have been able to win some elections. How disappointing is that? Let me tell the public exactly what types of things are being challenged in the lawsuit. It was things like exact match. So, which is a policy that was basically said, if you had any part of your um, information that was not on your, voter, on your voter's card, if it was um, different than what was on your driver's license, that could be a reason you could not vote. Let me tell you, the day that this policy was passed in committee, the chair of the committee couldn't even get my name right, nor my colleagues, who's currently running for secretary of state in Georgia. So to say, we know that in our community, we a lot of times will have unique names that can be difficult to spell, but my name not being Mary is not a reason that I should not be able to vote. The other thing they were challenging was that we have a policy here in Georgia where if you don't vote regularly enough, you're kicked off the voter registrate off the uh, voting record. And so these are the imagine if, you're, if the state said to you, hey, you know what? You haven't been driving enough. We're going to take away your driver's license. These policies were absolutely asinine and these policies were directed at making it really hard to get registered 
to stay registered and to vote if you are a black or brown person living in Georgia. And so it's just extremely disappointing that this um, judge, who is a black man, cannot see and understand why these policies, why why this, why he should have sided with the folks who brought the case um, to talk about the lack of equity for black voters here in Georgia. Speaking, it's unbelievable. Speaking of equity, on Friday, Vice President Kamala Harris participated uh, at the Democratic National Committee's Women's Leadership Forum. The topic turned to Hurricane Ian. Harris described that federal relief would be based on equity and prioritize people in communities of color because people of color and low-income communities are most affected by natural disasters such as this hurricane. This is what she said, y'all. I know we are all thinking about the families in Florida, in Puerto Rico, with Fiona, um, in, in, and what we need to do to help them in terms of an immediate response and aid, but also what we need to do to help restore communities and build communities back up in a way that they can be resilient, not to mention adapt to these extreme weather conditions, which are part of the future. Um, on the point that you made about disparities, you know, when I was back, when I was district attorney of San Francisco, I was elected in 2003. I started one of the first environmental justice units of any DA's office in the country focused on this issue, and in particular on the disparities, as you have described rightly, which is that it is our um, lowest-income communities and our communities of color that are most impacted by these extreme conditions and and impacted by by issues that are not of their own making. And so we... Absolutely. And so we have to address this in a way that is about giving resources based on equity, understanding that we, we fight for equality, but we also need to fight for equity, understanding not everyone starts out at the same place. And if we want people to be in an equal place, sometimes we have to take into account those disparities um, and, and do that work. Well, all these white conservatives all up in arms with what she said, but they're facts, and they're undeniable facts. Uh, in fact, we're going to go to a couple of guests right now who are in Georgia, in uh, an area of Florida that's impacted, where African Americans are greatly impacted. Uh, Aletha Shapiro, she's a social, racial, and reproductive activist and organizer, and uh, Cindy uh, Bonyai, hopefully I pronounced that correct, uh, Cindy, uh, who is uh, running for Florida Congressional 19th District. Glad to have both of you here. You heard what the vice president said. Oh, you got all these white conservatives who are upset with what she had to say, but the facts don't lie. All across the country in previous natural disasters where minority communities were impacted, a lot of the dollars did not flow to those areas. They flowed to largely white, middle class, and affluent areas. Yeah, yeah, you're 100% right. Um, we are sitting here in Naples in a mobile home park that had flooding that was up to one man's chest, as he described it. And you can see some of the items that they lost behind us. They're um, completely ruined. And we saw people getting evacuated from Fort Myers and Sanibel, and that was the priority. Uh, those wealthy areas in Southwest Florida got their needs met before these folks who are still to this day without power and without resources for their homes. And they weren't even told to evacuate here until it was too late. They found out when the water was rushing up. Yeah, they evacuated in the middle of the night, as one man told us.
Uh, uh, Aletha, so y'all are there, and, you, and you've been posting photos and videos uh, in uh, one in Naples, Florida, and people hear that, and they think, oh, that's one of the affluent areas, but everybody who lives there all don't have money. Yep. Um, two of the communities that we were at two days ago, one is called Riverside Park, and one is called Anthony Park. Yep. Um, they are literally in the physical shadows of a brand new multi-multi-million dollar complex within walking distance to the crown jewel of Naples, which is Fifth Avenue, where, I mean, you know, it's Fifth Avenue. Um, and, you know, Rick Scott, who lives here in Naples on the Gulf of Mexico, literally passes these communities every day to leave his house, basically. And you would almost, if you blink, you would miss the communities. They're so small. So most people don't even know that they're they're even here. Right. And these are folks who, many of them have lived there here their entire life before Naples was built up. Um, they are victims of gentrification. And they're, a lot of them are just waiting for a disaster like this to be pushed out so this can be redeveloped into high, you know, income properties, right? Uh, but these folks are also the engine of the economy here. They are working in uh, the retail sector, the hotel sector, the restaurants. Um, they are small business owners, and they are the lifeblood and the original folks who were here in this town. So, um, and obviously, uh, the president has promised that that the resources are going to come to the area. But what we also know, governors play a decision. Uh, look, I was born in Houston, Texas. Uh, when, the, when the hurricane hit, uh, when Hurricane Harvey hit there, um, lots of money went to Texas. The governor specifically refused to give any money to Harris County. So... Yes, you're right. Here in the state of Florida, we have Governor DeSantis. Now, I will say, he loves Lee County because he handpicked all the folks who were in power here. But they are doing what they always do, doing handouts to their friends, making sure that their buddies get in the contract. That's the same thing in the good old boys network that they do here in Southwest Florida. And what we've also seen here is that much like other Republican-run areas in our state and around the country, you have people who are completely incompetent running things. So they waited to the very last minute to give the emergency evacuation order. We had less than 24 hours to evacuate um, for this devastating storm. Um, many places, most places like where I live up by Fort Myers, we had only um, like three hours before we were supposed to be sheltered in place to evacuate. So lives were lost because these people sat on their hands. They didn't want to, they didn't want to ruffle feathers. They didn't want to get people mad. But what happened is people did, people lost their lives. People here in Collier County were, ex were expecting the community leaders to go through the neighborhoods like they usually do and let them know that there was an evacuation. And they simply didn't do that. And that's why you saw such devastation in these communities here in Southwest Florida and in Naples in particular. And I actually just want to tell one story uh, about that. We met a lady in Anthony Park. Her name is Jackie. She lived here her whole life. She's 66 years old. She said that she never got an evacuation order. In the middle of the night, she needs to be evacuated. She said it was the most disgusting experience ever, that they were treated like complete animals. They arrived in an open-air vehicle. Uh, they were shuffled in, a bunch of elderly people with rain. You know, the hurricane was coming down on them. And then they were basically dropped off 
in the mall parking lot that was covered and the, and they left with no information. They were freezing, they were wet, they were terrified. There's a hurricane going out right outside where they're watching. They had no Wi-Fi, no access. They were stranded there. She said it, she's never been treated so horrible in her life. And this woman, she lost everything. Yeah. And she just paid off all her, her furniture, her new floors. And what do you even say? Lifetime of work for her. And that's, that's been very common, the situation. And part of it is that the resources that are here right now have been focused on that search and recovery, uh, focused on the islands, which predominantly are where the wealthier folks live. So all of the regular stuff that people around the communities who don't live in beachfront homes need is not a priority right now. They're still very much in... Uh, you know, total, total disaster mode on those areas. So people who haven't been without power for a long time and their food is rotten, uh, they're still stranded in their home with flood waters, like in Harlem Heights. Those folks are getting some attention, but it's from the community. It's from organizations. It's from people like Aletha and our friends here who raised money to get out and get funds. And we're going door to door and we're setting pop-up shops uh, for supplies all over the community because there are places that there have literally been nothing up until now. Until we My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Showed up. Right. They said, nobody's been here. Nobody. Not until you came. Nobody has helped us. All right, then. Well, Cindy and Aletha, I appreciate uh, the work that y'all are doing out there. Uh, and uh, we'll certainly keep beating the drum uh, to make sure that uh, this happens. Uh, and uh, certainly, I hope the same people who are whining and complaining. I, I hope the same folks who are whining and complaining about the vice president will actually uh, look at your social media to understand that she was right. Thank you so much for allowing us to uplift all these stories. That really means a lot to the community. Thank right, we, you. Appreciate, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, folks, we want to give you a sense of, again, uh, stories that have been done showing uh, exactly uh, how uh, these areas have been impacted. So, uh, folk, and how black communities uh, have been harmed. Okay. Uh, and so, guys, come on, pull it up, please. All right. So, uh, listen, th this right here is a piece in the New York Times last year. Why does disaster aid often favor white people? The federal government often gives less help to, a black, to black disaster survivors than their white neighbors. That's a, that's a challenge for President Biden, who has vowed to fight both inequality and climate change. So you're whining about Vice President Kamala Harris and what she said. Hello. The, the, here's another one. Hurricanes disproportionately harm black neighborhoods. It's because of environmental racism. Okay, here we go. I mean, again, can you, like, disagree with these? Fine. White New Orleans has recovered from Hurricane Katrina. Black New Orleans has not. Okay? Now, numerous stories, y'all. Numerous stories. Why FEMA aid is unavailable to many who need it most. Numerous stories have been showing this. EPA just detailed all the ways climate change 
will hit U.S. racial minorities the hardest. It's a long list. Do y'all now understand why climate, why climate change is inherently racist? Y'all, do you understand why I wrote this book? I keep, listen, why are these white conservatives attacking Vice President Kamala Harris? Because she dared use the word equity. And I told y'all, they do not like the fact that she's talking about equity. They don't want equity. They hated multiculturalism. They hated affirmative action. They hate diversity, equity, and inclusion. You see how they use the word woke and try to tear everybody down. This is all... What did I tell y'all about that NPR story? And y'all gotta let me know when we booked those, that study, those authors of the study on the show. A study was done since 2008. White folks in America are increasingly against government programs because they believe that we're getting all the money and they're losing money. Even though there are more poor white people in America than poor black and Latino people. That's what you got going on. And then, of course, you got, you got you know, idiots like Bill Maher, you know, who... Now, you know, now remember, early on, we saw all these attacks on Vice President Kamala Harris, all these stories. Y'all notice you really haven't seen many uh, as of late, right? You haven't seen many as of late. But now, Bill Maher decides to open up his big-ass mouth and he decides to say, oh, my God, Biden should replace Vice President Kamala Harris because she's such a failure. Um, she's a failure? R really, Bill? Um, I don't think so. And just because you say so. So, so here's this. This is the discussion that took place somewhat on his show on Friday night. Listen to this stupidity. Could see is replacing me, Vice President, because... <laughs> Yeah, she's, she's just not very popular Hasn't anywhere, and <laughs> it didn't seem to work out, and um, I don't know, that's been done before on a ticket, you know? I mean, a lot of people... Tulsi Gabbard, remember, that was that moment in the debate where she brought up these, that there are uh, men and women in California that are in prison for these, you know, pot deals, and then she was laughing about getting high on the radio station, and it was just like, Tulsi Gabbard was like this heat-seeking missile, that was the end of it. You know, she's got a lot of, in addition to being, for some reason, um, an off-putting person, she, <laughs> she also has, I think, a lot of baggage that probably wouldn't do well under a lot of scrutiny. I just think she's a bad politician. And I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't think, I think she's a very bright person, but mm -hmm. I, I don't know, just see, but I can see them doing that because a lot of the problem with Biden being old is, oh, if he dies, then, you know, you're mm -hmm. gonna get this person. Okay, so here's the problem with the Democratic Party. They're so boxed in by identity politics that you cannot conceive of a Democratic ticket that doesn't have a woman, person of color on it, and pretty soon you're going to line up behind that gay Latino and you're going to have to have, you know, a, a deaf Eskimo be, uh, <laughs> be the... Uh, but am, I, am I right that they are boxed in by identity? Well, first of all, I, I, I see it differently in that I don't think Kamala has, has caught fire yet or found her footing. <laughs> I think that's true. I think, I think the, poll, the polling data says that. 
but uh, I don't think that she would be a weight on the ticket. What I will say is this. You talk about identity politics. Joe Biden is an example of identity politics. Joe Biden is an example of black voters saying, we think we need to put a white guy in there. And nobody says he's an identity politics guy. Uh, Pence. How do you get Pence? You have Trump, who is not the most saintly guy in the world, needs somebody whose identity is conservative Christian. He goes and gets Pence. So politics is about identity. That's what it is. But whenever there's a person of color or a woman, we say, well, that's identity politics. It's all identity politics. You okay. just got to put a, a ticket that can win. And that's I don't that, know. That I have. All right. So I, I had somebody who came up to me uh, last week at CBC, older sister, and she said, Roland, I love, I, used, I love watching your show. I used to watch it all the time, but you cuss too much. See, what I just played is the reason why I cuss. <laughs> <laughs> and I told her, we don't, I said, I don't cuss that much. I'm trying not to cuss. I'm trying. But that bullshit is why <laughs> it will make you cuss. That, that crap right there. And, <laughs> and, and, and Van, Van, Van was nice to him. Van was real nice to him. First of all, the little white woman. I would have, I would have said, what the hell is off-putting? Mm-hmm. I, I would have said, I, I need you to explain to me off-putting. Mm-hmm. Every black woman mm-hmm. who has worked in corporate America, in politics, in academia, has heard that little sit. They're off-putting. What do you mean, off-putting? Then I heard baggage. First of all, she straight lied. It has been totally refuted, that lie about Mm -hmm. Kamala Harris locking up millions of people because of weed. That lie has been refuted. And a whole bunch of brothers and sisters were running around believing that lie, and it's a lie. It's a flat-out lie. And in fact, my man man Drew comments, uh, 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 Drew, uh, y- y'all follow him uh, on um, on social media. Um, it was so funny because uh, he- he's done um, he's done um, a-, a number of videos. Uh, y'all, let me see if we can get Drew on the phone about this whole weed deal. It's a lie. So sh- that woman get- just lied, and Bill Maher said nothing in correcting her. Then he said, "Bad politician." Do you know who is the most effective person for the White House right now in talking about the Dobbs decision and Roe v. Wade in the political context? Vice President Kamala Harris. Do you know who played a significant role in pushing Biden on the student loan debt relief? Vice President Biden, Vice President Harris. Now, did she have a rocky first year? Of course. Of course. But y'all notice all of the Harris's awful stories. Y'all notice how they just disappeared. But see, this is how folk like Bill Maher throw this kind of crap out. But now let me get to the crust of what I want to deal with. Bill Maher said, oh, the Democrats have 
boxed themselves in by identity politics. This is the favorite phrase of white liberal slash progressive men like Bill Maher. Because these white men don't like the fact that they no longer are plan A, plan B, plan C, and plan D. Let me say it again. White fear ain't just about white conservatives. White fear is also about white liberals, white progressives, because the operative word is white. Do y'all do want to know who is really afraid of black and Latinos getting numbers increasing? White democratic strategists who control the purse strings to the billions of dollars because they don't want to see black strategists, black campaign managers, black media analysts, black pollsters, because these white democratic strategists have become multi-millionaires off of these campaigns. It ain't no different. Y'all, don't get confused about what's going on here. So what Bill Maher says here, oh, they're getting boxed in by identity politics, Bill Maher refuses to recognize that whiteness is identity politics. Hey, Bill Maher, since you're scared to invite me back on your show, the only time I got invited was October 2014 and killed, but y'all a little scared to invite a brother back. What are you, what are soccer moms? Renita, can you just tell me, when we hit the phrase soccer moms, who are they talking about? White women, Got and it. that is identity politics. I'm a Congo. When you hear NASCAR dads, <laughs> who are they talking about? Talking about white men. Julian, when you hear the phrase the working class, is it actually conjuring up black and Latino <laughs> workers? No, you're talking about the white boy with a lunch bucket. Precisely. Precisely. Well, the majority of working class is Right, precisely. I got it. But the point here, folks, is when you look at politics, they literally segment audiences based upon identity. Do y'all actually think for a second they only do it when it comes to black and Latino folks? And you, you heard Bill Murray, oh, well, next up, they're going to be lining up the gay and Latino, uh, uh, I forgot the little dismissive comment that he used. Y'all, this is what we're talking about here. Clock. And so you got to be aware of white so-called Democrats and progressives who themselves, they don't like the fact that we now get to have a voice. We now get to have a perspective. Bill Maher is one of those white men. And see, Bill Maher thinks because he slept with a lot of black women and he smoked weed with a lot of black people, he thinks he's a brother. You're not. Bill, you are a white man. You talk like a white man. You live like a white man. 
and you don't want to accept the reality that this is a world that is no longer being dominated by white men. White men like yourself are threatened by black people, black men, black women, Latinos, Asians. That's a fact. You don't want to own up to that. And what y'all do is, y'all sit here and purposely lie on Vice President Harris, and then the stuck-on-stupid people who do no research, who listen to disinformation and misinformation, they run with it. Well, uh, and see, this is why y'all get mad. Roland, why you interrupt people? Because when people come on my show and lie, I stop them. They lie. I stop them. Bill Marsh should have known with all the weed he smoked that what he, what she said about Kamala Harris locking up all of these black and brown people because of weed was a lie. But when you're not a real journalist and you're playing a smart media person, you're really a comedian, and there's some smart comedians, you don't have the research at hand, so you can't say, I'm sorry, that's not true. So that woman, and again, j j just so y'all think I'm confused, I I'm going to play what Caitlin said, which is a lie, and I'm going to bring my man Drew in, and I'm going to bring the panel in as well, because y'all need to understand why we do this show. It's because people with, like Bill Maher, with major platforms, when they throw that stuff out there, then folks run with it. And then it spurs stories and blogs and podcasts. And that's how it gets built. Oh, my God, Vice President Kamala Harris is so awful. She's so terrible. She should be replaced in 2024. With who, Bill? A young white guy? Hell, you complain, you complain about gays and Latinos, so Pete Buttigieg, you don't pass, I guess you don't pass Bill Maher's test. Oh, agent secretary. Ah, but Sarah, okay, sorry, you're out. What Bill Maher is essentially saying is, please, white people only apply. So let me just play again. To listen to this, I want you to listen to clearly what is being said here. Could see is replace. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. Signe Vice President, because... Yeah, she's, she's just not very popular Hasn't anywhere. <laughs> and it didn't seem to work out. And um, I don't know, that's been done before on a ticket, you know? I mean, a lot of people... Tulsi Gabbard, remember, that was that moment in the debate where she brought up these, that there are uh, men and women in California that are in prison for these, you know, pot deals. And then she was laughing about getting high on the radio station. And it was just like, Tulsi Gabbard was like this heat-seeking missile. That was the end of it. You know, she's got a lot of, in addition to being, for some reason, um, an off-putting person. She, she also has, I think, a lot of 
baggage that probably wouldn't do well under a lot of scrutiny. I just think she's a bad politician. And I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't think, I think she's a very bright person, but mm -hmm. I, I don't know, I just see, but I can see them doing that because a lot of the problem with Biden being old is, oh, if he dies, then, you know, you're mm -hmm. going to get this person. Okay, so here's the problem with the Democratic Party. They're so boxed in by identity politics that you cannot conceive of a Democratic ticket that doesn't have a woman, person of color on it, and pretty soon you're going to line up behind that gay Latino, and you're going to have to have, you know, a, a deaf Eskimo. Be <laughs> a deaf Eskimo. What that is is a white man making fun of the fact that you have more than qualified black, Latino, women, and gay candidates. But for Bill Maher, hey, only white, straight men need apply. That, that's really what he's saying. Uh, Drew, I, I, I called you because you just heard with what that fool Caitlin had to say. Uh, and Bill Maher, did, Bill Maher did not correct her all the... Uh, Drew, can you hear me? He loud and clear. You hear me? Uh, all right. So she sat here and just lied, and, oh, my, how Tulsi Gabbard just blew her away about all of the men and women who Kamala Harris locked up because of weed and pot-smoking Bill Maher didn't correct her. You've done numerous videos completely just, just dispelling that lie. Well, yeah, because it's not true. It's pretty easy stuff to look up, too. Um, yeah, the, the moment with, uh, with Tulsi Gabbard, it's easy to be loud and wrong. But in the moment, you know, when people can't fact-check in real time and make you seem like you know what you're talking about, but the fact of the matter is everything that she said was an outright lie. It was misinformation, disinformation, way before we even had a COVID situation. But, um, yeah, Kamala Harris literally is the opposite of what that. She did not lock up a bunch of black people for weed. As a matter of fact, when she became San Francisco DA, over the length of time of her DA reign, um, the admissions for state prison marijuana uh, 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 imprisonment fell 66% over her predecessor. Like, they, the, the last guy locked up 135 people to state prison when marijuana was the most serious charge. Over the same amount of time, Kamala Harris locked up only 45. So that's a drop. Um, even when she became attorney general, same thing. First of all, attorney generals don't even prosecute marijuana cases. I said all the time. That'd be like the CEO of Target ring you up on aisle three. That ain't gonna happen. But even then, even during that time, the uh, the actual uh, uh, imprisonment for uh, marijuana fell during her time as AG. So this mythical time that she was locking people up for, for weed, uh, we ain't seen it in real life, but y'all got some good imaginations, though, and I've, I've learned that. Well, and again, uh, uh, you know, when people like this go on national shows and repeat the lie and no one corrects the lie, then somebody watching goes, well, there it is. She was horrible. She was simple. She was a cop. And she was just locking people up and just throwing the key away. And then the black folks ran with it. Oh, she locked up all these brothers. She didn't care about brothers. She didn't care about sisters. Oh, they took one case and said, oh, that, that represented all the cases. And folks were simply lying. And that's what Bill Maher calls baggage. Yeah, baggage. Yeah, that's funny. Now, bag. You know what we call it now. Now you said I'm, I'm knee deep in the in the uh, debunking the misinformation on COVID vaccines game. We call it disinformation, and we call it uh, just very dangerous. To be honest with you, man. Like when 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 something goes out long enough and nobody's there to correct it, 
it can get gain so much traction, people really start to believe it. And so they don't even know the fact that Kamala Harris is one of the original pioneers of something called restorative justice with her back on track program in San Francisco to where instead of getting people locked up for something like, I don't know, a little bit of weed or two grams of crack, you know, you give them uh, give them jobs, you give them uh, uh, employment training, a uh, job readiness training, you give them education so they get their GED, um, you help them with their credit, parental training, and so on and so forth, rather than putting them in, in prison cells uh, just because they were trying to sell some drugs so they could make some, do- make some money to feed their family. So, uh, yeah, the, the, it's, the misinformation game definitely is something that um, is it, dangerous. It's lucrative for the people who know how to capitalize on it. But it definitely is dangerous in the overall perception of public uh, health and, and public policy. All right, Drew. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for jumping on real quick. I appreciate it. Appreciate it, everybody. Get vaccinated. Get boosted. We're All done. Right. All right. Thanks a bunch. Uh, bringing my panel here, uh, Julianne Amakongo, Renita. I mean, this is, I mean, it, it, it really pisses me off. It, it, it pisses me off when um, I, I, I watch this stuff, when I listen to this nonsense. And again, I've been saying this for years. President meets with black pastors, but when they white, he meets with pastors. Mm -hmm. President meets with Latino leaders, but when it's a room full of white CEOs, he meets with CEOs. Identity politics includes white people. But what Bill Maher chose to do is he chose to weaponize that, and then he sounds exactly like Republicans, Julian, in attacking Democrats and what he is operating with his white male nationalistic view, how dare Democrats elevate women, elevate men. And what's so stupid is, she literally, this is what is so stupid to me. How much of a dumbass Bill Maher? One non white president, one in American history, one non male vice president. Any, any, any women been vice president before? Any? any? So she the first female vice president, right? So you got one. Oh Lord, the house is my. We might as well demolish the house. Oh Lord, one woman got in. How dare? Oh Lord, can't call nine one one. That's literally what this fool is saying. Julian, go. Well, you know. That whole segment was objectionable to me for any number of reasons. First of all, that off-putting thing. I'm supposed to be off-putting. I'm, you know, whatever. I can be a little bit much. <laughs> but off-putting? I mean, that's a bit much to say. I mean, it's it's a generic, I'm not comfortable with black women. That's really what's being said. That's I'm all that is. Black women. Then that little, he, I mean, Bill Maher is supposed to be some kind of a, okay, I'm a curse since you don't anymore, half-assed comedian. Uh, he's supposed to be a comedian, but nothing he said was funny. The whole notion of a deaf Eskimo, that's the meaning to differently able people, is the meaning to a minority group in this country, people who represent uh, one of our largest states. I mean, that bit is not funny. It simply is not funny. But he seems to get... He, he is pushing all the identity 
politics buttons with white people. He's a white boy, like you said, slept with enough black women that he thinks that racial identity rubs off in bed. It does not. But in any, and the whole thing just was objectionable to me. I just sort of sat here seething, saying, how, and I used to like Bill Maher, but that was just some stupid ass nonsense. Excuse my cursing. The, the, the thing here on McCongo, um, again, we know who his audience is. And again, when I talk about white fear, how the brown of America is making white folks lose their minds, we've got to stop acting like, oh, it's just those, those white Republicans. No, there are white Democrats, white progressives. Oh, they're in Hollywood. They're in corporate America. They can't stand the fact that they now have to post jobs. They can't stand the fact that in some cases they gonna have some black bosses. And oh, hell no, don't let me have a Latino boss. We are seeing this. Whiteness has always defined America, and what they don't like when one gets in, it's like, damn, the whole world is going to pot. So, and if I was on the show, I would say, okay, Bill, since you criticize having a woman and having a black Latino, well, fine. Who are your top three choices? He probably would have named three white men, three mm -hmm. white straight men. Go ahead, Omicongo. Well, I, I think you've, you've been talking a lot about, about your, your book tonight, and one of the things that you lay out in, in the book is you talk about the fact that there's, there's a, hist a history-long trajectory of white people feeling like, okay, we've done enough for you. And an example you gave in the book was of the Tilden Hayes Compromise, when people saw all of the gains coming out of Reconstruction and going into you know, 1877 when they pulled the federal troops out uh, of the South and that ushered in Jim Crow. A lot of that had to do with the fact that, well, you guys have gotten enough. And we see that now. I think the difference, a lot of us like used to like Bill Maher. And so Dr. Malvo was saying, we started to see a difference after Obama got in office. The mindset started to change. You talk about it in your book when you talk about Dr. King going to Chicago and realizing that that was probably one of the most racist cities he's ever been in because people who were, you know, in Chicago weren't as progressive as people thought that they were. And so really, at the end of the day, Bill Maher is in line with that. The fact of the matter is, he says that Vice President Harris is not a good politician. Excuse me, she was a senator in a state that's not majority black. So what is, what is he talking about, really, at the end of the day? And the role of the vice president is to put out the agenda of the president. So she's doing exactly what she's supposed to be doing and more because she's been more vocal in her role than Biden was when he was under Obama as relates to speaking out heavily about these social justice issues. And she's definitely more vocal than Mike Pence was. So really, at the end of the day, this dude is mad, he's angry, and he's really just sees black women in a particular light and is not ready for them to actually have real power and to manifest itself. And Van Jones, you should have challenged him on his points as well. Well, and, 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 and Renee, that particular point that Omicongo makes there uh, in terms of how often she's been out there, that is the point. One of the reasons people trash her is because she's been more public and more vocal than any previous vice president. And so she has a larger target. Most VPs out of sight, out of mind. Biden was, Pence was, we could mm -hmm. keep going back, Gore was. And so Biden has provided her a much larger platform. I mean, look, Saturday night at the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation dinner, she spoke and he spoke. I have attended the CBCF Phoenix Awards dinner for years. 
Julian, you have as well. I have, I cannot remember ever where the president spoke and his vice president spoke before him. Now, people could say, well, that's because she's a black, uh, black female. Okay. And? But he could have easily said, you the VP. Sit down there. You can attend, but I'm speaking. No, he shares the stage. That's a part of this whole deal. But again, folk like Bill Maher, like, like a lot of white men, oh, there they go. They picked that black woman up there. And oh my gosh, she's horrible. We need to replace her. No, it's, it's exactly like you said. And the reality is most people cannot even remember the name of previous vice presidents. You know why? Because all they have done is pretty much been in place in, place in case something happens to the president. She has been more active, and that is why people do know her name. But to your point, Bill Maher just makes a case of something that I always you say, know, which is racism is bipartisan. And people need to realize that there is a segment of white people within the Democratic Party who also have a fear of replacement theory, just like white conservatives mm -hmm. do. And they are thinking about replacement theory of black folks becoming the posters, the strategists, and almost exclusively the candidates. But the DNC can listen to Bill Maher if they want to, but they will be they will be learning some uncomfortable lessons because we have seen ticket after ticket where you put up two white straight men and Democrats lose. So what people like Bill Maher have to realize is that this is a black party. And the reason why I say that is because when you look at who consistently votes for Democrats, it's black women first, and then black men are number two. So if you want to win elections, you have to invest in black voters. You have to have black candidates who will speak to black issues in order to get what is the majority of your base energized and ready to go and ready to vote. And until the Democratic Party does that, we will be losing elections. Man, and damn, for Bill Maher, oh my, it's so sad when people might want to see themselves reflected in political office. But see, mm -hmm. for him, he's upset because he sees what's coming. And that's fewer white men being mm -hmm. in control. That's a fact, Bill, whether you want to accept it or not. Folks, got to go to break. We come back, more on Roland Martin Unfiltered, the Black Star Network, including our Black and Missing. We also have our Fit Live Win segment as well. Lots more to cover. Please, folks, uh, support us in what we do. Download the Black Star Network app, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. Join our Bring the Funk fan club. Of course, in your check and money orders, appeal box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. Cash app, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered, PayPal, R Martin Unfiltered, Venmo's RM Unfiltered, Zell, Roland at RolandSMartin.com, Roland at RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. If you're on YouTube, if you're on Facebook, uh, Twitch, all the platforms, hit that like button. Okay, we should be at 1,000 right now. This don't make any sense, y'all. And get your copy of White Fear, how the Browning of America is making white folks lose their minds. You can get the book on all platforms from the publisher Ben Bella Books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound, Bookshop, Chapters, Books A Million, Target, download it on Audible. We'll be right back. When we invest in ourselves, we're investing in what's... Check the backseat. Check the backseat. All right. 
Come here. Check the backseat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Thanks for all of us. Growing. Creating. Making moves. The move us all forward. Together, we are black beyond measure. Hatred on the streets, a horrific scene. A white nationalist rally that descended into deadly violence. White people are losing their damn minds. It's an angry pro-Trump mob storms the U.S. Capitol. We're about to see the rise of what I call white minority resistance. We have seen white folks in this country who simply cannot tolerate black folks voting. I think what we're seeing is the inevitable result of violent denial. This is part of American history. Every time that people of color have made progress, whether real or symbolic, there has been what Carol Anderson at Emory University calls white rage as a backlash. This is the rise of the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo Boys. America, there's going to be more of this. Here's all the Proud Boys, guys. This country is getting increasingly racist in its behaviors and its attitudes because of the fear of white people. The fear that they're taking our jobs, they're taking our resources, they're taking our women. This is white fear. When we invest in ourselves, we all shine. Together, we are black beyond measure. Don't you think it's time to get wealthy? I'm Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach, and my new show on the Black Star Network focuses on the things your financial advisor or bank isn't telling you. So watch Get Wealthy on the Black Star Network. Hi, I'm Vivian Green. Hi, this is Essence Atkins. Hey everybody, this is your man Fred Hammond, and you're watching Roland Martin, my man, unfiltered. disappeared from Frederick, Maryland on September 22nd. The 15-year-old is 5 feet 7 inches tall, weighs 160 pounds with brown hair and brown eyes. Anyone with information about Diamond should call the Frederick, Maryland Police Department at 301-600-2102. 301-600-2102. Folks, in California, a high school football team season gets canceled after a video of some players conducting a slave auction goes viral. Watch this. This happened at River Valley High School in Yuba City, California. Some football team members participated in the prank auction. 
of black teammates. School district officials saw the video, and the Yuba City Unified School District Superintendent Doreen Osumi called the video unacceptable and deeply offensive. Osumi released the following statement following discussions with the students who were involved in the unfortunate and extremely distressing incident at River Valley High School. I can confirm that those who participated will not be playing the rest of the season. They violated our student-athlete code of conduct, which they all signed and committed to follow. That will not be ignored or minimized. As a result, we do not have the necessary number of players to safely field the varsity team and must thus forfeit the remainder of the season. The junior varsity team will continue with their season, and sophomores and juniors from the varsity team can join the junior varsity team to finish their season. Reenacting a slave sale as a prank tells us that we have a great deal of work to do with our students so they can distinguish between intent and impact. They may have thought this skit was funny, but it is not. It is unacceptable and requires us to look honestly and deeply at issues of systemic racism. We know that corrective action may be required in accordance with policy, but it is education, honest, open discussions, and instruction that will guide our students to realize that their choices and actions have consequences. At this time, the district and site administration are working to earnestly to identify lessons and programs to help our student body learn from this situation. When students find humor in something that is so deeply offensive, it tells me that we have an opportunity to help them expand their mindset to be more aware, thoughtful, and considerate of others. Uh, Omakongo, uh, here's my thing that also jumps out. If that was my son or nephew, and that was standing right there. Hello. Hashtag team whip that ass will be y'all think I see Man, see I... We, we as black people we are also going to have to make clear to this generation you don't get invo you don't get involved in no bullshit like that. Yo, I mean that that was that was the first look the man the response from superintendent was 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 perfect in terms of hitting all of the right tones but my mind all day rolling has been wrapped on these black students and what they have been taught or not taught at home to feel the need. Because I don't care if this is hazing. I don't care if this is any type of peer pressure. When you are taught as black people to stand on your principles in every way, shape, or form, you in no way, shape, or form participate in something like this. And we have seen all across the country our young black students demonstrate incredible courage and fortitude in the face of serious adversity, whether it be at sporting events, whether it be at Black Lives Matter protests, and just make it, our young people have made us proud in every single way, but not all of them. And so we really need to find out what is at the heart of something like this, because really, quite honestly, at the end of the day, the reason why this concerns me is twofold. Number one, this happened in a state like California. You know, this isn't like Arkansas and all of these where people are trying to ban black history and stuff. I also saw that I think some of the kids who were there were, were possibly Latino as well. But as we're removing history from the schools, and if we're not teaching it at home and in our communities, we're going to have future generations of more black children who are going to see something like this and think that it's cool because they do not know the history. And all of us here on this show tonight, we all came from communities where we were taught that school is not going to be the primary teacher of our culture. It comes from our home and from our communities. And so in all of our communities across the country, we got to make sure we're snatching up all of our kids right now and make sure they're getting the history and the knowledge that they so far haven't gotten in school and they're going to get less of if some of these states continue to have their way. Yep. Bottom line is, um, 
shut it down. Shut it down, Rita, shut it down. Absolutely. I think that the administration... Go ahead. No, 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 Rita, oh. go ahead. Yeah, no, absolutely. The administrator made the right decision in completely just shutting the whole thing down. You know, I knew we were going to talk about this uh, topic tonight, and I was trying to find the video because as I read the story... I was just thinking, who would be participating in this? Like, what is the situation that we would have black children thinking that this is okay to participate in? To see this video now firsthand is just unbelievable. And like Omakongo said, many of the lessons that black people need to need to learn and be taught will have to be taught at home by black parents who understand what it is to grow up and live in this country as a black American. Julian, you know, this is why we need ethnic studies. This is why. Um... We, Shirley, Shirley, um, I forgot, I'm forgetting her name, I'm blanking her name now. Our Secretary of State has mandated that any student who goes to a community college or a Cal State must take at least one ethnic studies class and they're trickling it down to the high school, obviously not to that high school. But I looked at those young brothers, I, I just want to scream, cry, if they were, like you are, Roland, if that was one of my children, I would have knocked them into next week just for participating in such a thing. This is why we need ethnic studies. This is, and these people who don't want to teach critical race theory or anything else, they want to perpetuate this kind of nonsense. And it is unacceptable. The administrator did the absolutely right thing. And some of these youngins who think they're going someplace on a football scholarship, they now pretty much have been disqualified because the rest of their season is blank. But it's beyond the football and scholarships. It's the acceptance of anti-blackness that permeates our nation, whether it's California or not, uh, permeates our nation. Anti-blackness is real. Uh, historical denial is real. <coughs> yep. And this is a perfect example of it. Uh, indeed. Folks, California is the first state to ensure creative content can't be used against artists in court without judicial review. Several artists like Killer Mike, Meek Mill, and Too Short witnessed the uh, virtual signing of Assembly Bill 2799, also known as the Decriminalization Artistic Expression Act, into law. Prosecutors have used lyrics against artists in several recent high-profile cases, including the May Rico sweep that landed Young Thug, Gunna, and several of their associates in jail. The prosecuting district attorney has maintained that their references to drugs, weapons, and violence are evidence of gang activity. California's new law advocates, advocate, advocates continue pushing for federal legislation, the Restoring Artistic Protection Act. Uh, this is a huge deal, uh, Renita, like I say. It's being used there in Georgia, but other folks are saying this should be distribution law all across the country. Absolutely, and I'm glad to see that California is taking this first step because what you tend to see is the law is applied in a very racist way. You brought up how, um, you know, the local prosecutor here, Fonnie Willis, who's also trying to prosecute Trump for election battling, also recently indicted YSL um, and said their rap lyrics were a lot of the, well, their rap lyrics were a lot of the evidence that was presented as to why she believed they had committed crimes. But here's the thing that I always think about. There is in it, you almost see this against um, black rappers, and we have seen this even for, since the 80s, where rap lyrics are taken as evidence, but you never see this applied to the white boys. If you Google gore metal or death metal, you will find a genre of music that basically talks about in detail horrific killings of folks and supports cannibalism and all kinds of just gross details that really sound like people who have actually murdered people in the way that they are describing these, murder, these murders. And these folks are never prosecuted. So this is just one of those things where it's like anti-blackness in this country is so high that even things that are uh, historically a part of our culture, which is hip-hop, um, you can see prosecuted pretty much just for it being um, a part of the culture. Omicongo. 
Look, as a rapper myself, I wouldn't want people using my lyrics. I, I remixed a Biggie song, and I, and I started out as I sit back, relax, read a book, watch the press. I think about the world leaders that I'd like to X. Like, I don't want people coming at me and saying I was trying to assassinate folks. These are just songs. And going off of what Renita is saying, you know, my, my, my thoughts are twofold. You know, people don't take guys like Arnold Schwarzenegger and take what they did in The Terminator and use it in, in court cases and the like. And so, yeah, you got to protect our artists. At the same time, I think our rappers need to be mature enough and understanding that other states have not made this, have not made this ban, right? So they are going to come for you. And you have to know that and put, you're going to put out your lyrics. You have to know that these might be potential consequences. It's wrong. It's racist. And it's another way to target black men. And so artists have to really make that balance if they want to take those chances in the states that they're in until they get these types of laws passed. All right, folks. Uh, I just, you know what? Let me do this here. Let me go to a break. We come back. Y'all, I love driving white conservatives crazy. And poller Mark Levin was just beside himself on Friday after I moderated the uh, voting uh, panel at Congressional Black Caucus Foundation, ALC. He went on a 12-minute rant on his show and said I would never invite him to my show. Well, somebody called me that night, and I did. They responded in three days. Hit dog will holler. I'm going to play some of that for you and talk about it on the flip side. Plus, we're going to talk about in our Fit Live Win segment, a woman who battled type 1 diabetes. She's trying to help others as well. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. YouTube folks, hit the damn like button. More than 2,000 of y'all. Y'all, just hit the button. It ain't that hard. Like, move on. If you're going to comment, hit the like button, all right? I want to see 1,100 by the time we come back from this break. Back in a moment. When we invest in ourselves, we all shine. Together, we are black beyond measure. I've always said this. Rather than to continue to fight for a fair piece of the pie and, and, and the equal slice of the pie, I want my hand on a knife that cuts the pie. And to that extent, who bakes the pie? And who, who puts it in? And that's one of the things that got me involved in going into politics in the first instance. I'm tired of people making decisions for me. Right. And mine. I want to be a part of that decision-making process. And luckily, it has paid off in terms of seeing the progress that many people in America have made, particularly the people of color. One thing bothers me now that we seem to be losing that. Right. By saying that we've got to be more concerned with other people than those people who were here. We built America. When we invest in ourselves, we're investing in what's next for all of us. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. All right, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the back seat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Growing. Creating. Making moves. 
to move us all forward. Together, we are black beyond measure. Hatred on the streets, a horrific scene. A white nationalist rally that descended into deadly violence. White people are losing their damn minds. It's an angry pro-Trump mob storms the U.S. Capitol. We're about to see the rise of what I call white minority resistance. We have seen white folks in this country who simply cannot tolerate black folks voting. I think what we're seeing is the inevitable result of violent denial. This is part of American history. Every time that people of color have made progress, whether real or symbolic, there has been what Carol Anderson at Emory University calls white rage as a backlash. This is the rise of the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo Boys. America, there's going to be more of this. Here's all the Proud Boys, guys. This country is getting increasingly racist in its behaviors and its attitudes because of the fear of white people. The fear that they're taking our jobs, they're taking our resources, they're taking our women. This is white fear. Hey, I'm Donnie Simpson. Hi, I'm Eric Nolan. I'm Shantae Moore. Hi, my name is Latoya Luckett, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Oh, white conservative radio talk show host Mark Levin was beside himself because we dared to speak the truth about voting rights in this country. On his show Friday, he was just losing his mind, ranting and raving about me and Maya Wiley. Listen to this fool. So the party that believes in democracy doesn't even care or comprehend that we're not a democracy, that we're a republic, a constitutional republic. Not a democracy. And the framers were very clear about that. You cannot have a majority vote on whether you have unalienable rights or whether natural law exists or whether your individual liberty should be expanded or shrunk. That's just voting. Voting is certainly an important aspect of a republic, but it's not the end-all and be-all freedom is. Any civil society. And so we have Maya Wiley, civil rights activist, at the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation Voting Rights Forum today, and uh, Roland Martin. So you see, when they say they believe in democracy, they don't even believe in our Constitution. Let me just say this briefly before I get to this. They oppose the Electoral College. They oppose the filibuster, which really is the defining process in the United States Senate. They attack the founding, which means they attack the Constitution, which followed the founding. They attack separation of powers. They attack the Supreme Court. They want to pack it. They've tried multiple times through their history. They do not believe in this system. They wanted to pass a national voting system that would have violated at least three provisions of the Constitution. And this is what I'm talking about. They do not believe in freedom of speech, certainly not yours. 
They do not believe in the free exercise of religion as they try and not only exclude it from the public square, but exclude it, period, depending on uh, if you want to bake. I, I can't listen to They don't believe in the founding. Slavery. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. We don't believe in slavery. Excuse us that we don't just exalt the slaveholding founders. Excuse us if we ain't all hyped about the three-fifth compromise. They don't believe in religion. Mark, black folks more religious than y'all. Mm. Hell, we had to believe in Jesus just to deal with you Jim Crow racists. He go on and on and on about they don't believe in this and oh, we're not a democracy, we're a republic. Uh, they don't believe in the Constitution. Mark, why did we have a 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments? Why was the Civil Rights Act of 64 passed and the Voting Rights Act of 65 passed and the Fair Housing Act of 68 passed? Because y'all wouldn't believe in the same damn constitution your ass say you love. It, it, if we were to believe that that document meant everything in the world, guess what? Then we wouldn't have had to add new laws. And the new laws were passed to force white folks to enforce the very law that had already been passed. And had we been treated equal, there would have been no need for the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment. So I, I love it when these fools say, oh my God, they don't believe it. What did Dr. King say? Be true to what you put on paper. Thrust of the black freedom movement was to force y'all to abide by that very constitution y'all say y'all love. Th that was the point. So I, I so I just get a kick out of these folks who lie to their audience. Oh my God. They don't believe in these things that we, they don't believe in this. Hell, black people believe more in the Constitution and the government than many of you white conservatives do. Because clearly, y'all damn sure don't believe in law and order after January 6th. Oh, you want to go there, huh? Surely, you don't believe in everybody has a right to vote because y'all wouldn't be using all of your voter suppression tactics. Surely, you don't, because you said, oh, no, no, we, 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 all, we all believe in, in the right to vote. Really? How? Because you're stopping others from doing so. Nice try, man. Nice. They, they don't believe in the First Amendment. Oh, so now you care about the First Amendment? Because y'all always skip that one to go to the second. Uh, mm. just, just play by, by 60 seconds more of this fool. 
get cake for a certain ceremony, you don't have the right to make that decision. Or if you're a religious institution, you don't have a right to say that this club cannot be here because it's, its foundational principles conflict with the entire purpose of the university. And you go on and on and on. They do not believe in your Second Amendment rights, the right to bear arms. In many cases, they do not believe. They do not believe in, in due process rights. They do not believe in probable cause in many cases as they continue to surveil citizens and collect data about you. And of course, federalism, the Tenth Amendment is out the window, except that they want to wave it around from time to time to advance a cause. We don't believe in probable cause? Hell, we the reason you got that in the cup. Boy. <laughs> Y'all are some desperate, crazy people. You know what, Mark? Let, let me just go ahead and play a little something for you. You might remember this, since we talked about the Constitution. You might remember that was a black woman from Texas, the first black woman from the South, elected since Reconstruction named Barbara Jordan, Texas Southern University graduate. Let me go ahead and let her explain to you how we feel about the Constitution. James Madison again at the Constitutional Convention. A president is impeachable if he attempts to subvert the Constitution. The Constitution charges the president with the task of taking care that the laws be faithfully executed. And yet... Now, huh. He, he, oh, that, that was a lot of Constitution she was saying. That was a whole lot I heard right there from her about the Constitution. You know, but the, but the one you say we don't believe in. Yeah, I heard that. But I love what she said at the beginning. I love this. Go ahead. The purpose of general debate, not to exceed a period of 15 minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman, I join my colleague, Mr. Rangel, in thanking you for giving the junior members of this committee the glorious opportunity of sharing the pain of this inquiry. Mr. Chairman, you are a strong man, and it has not been easy. But we have tried as best we can to give you uh, as much assistance as possible. Earlier today, we heard the beginning of the preamble to the Constitution of the United States. We the people. It's a very eloquent beginning. But when that document was completed on the 17th of September in 1787, I was not included in that we the people. You hear that, Mark? We were not included in we the people. Continue. I felt somehow for many years that George Washington and Alexander Hamilton just left me out by mistake. But through the process of amendment, interpretation, and court decision, I have finally been included in we the people. See, Mark, this is really why you so mad. Because we now get to speak. We now got to actually sit in the convention center that black people were barred from in the past. It drives you crazy that white police officers no longer dominate the Washington, Washington D.C. police force where they used to get those races from Virginia and West Virginia who did so. 
See, I know we were just killing you, but we actually get to have our own opinion. And the cameras of C-SPAN were there to broadcast it, and we were streaming it on Black Star Network, owned by yours truly. See, I know it must pain you when we actually get now to own stuff, and we get to actually use the First Amendment. So it's a little hard to say we don't like the First Amendment when we're actually using the First Amendment, which is why you were commenting. I digress. Today, I am an inquisitor. And hyperbole would not be fictional and would not overstate the solemnness that I feel right now. My faith in the Constitution is whole, it is complete, it is total. And I am not going to sit here and be an idle spectator to the diminution, the subversion, the destruction of the Constitution. And that, Mark, is what you can't stand. You cannot stand that we have read the same Constitution y'all wrote. And what you cannot stand is that we have used that same Constitution against you. We have used the same Constitution that was not written for us and was not designed for us to force y'all to give us the same respect and rights as you had when you were born. That's why you so upset. And then in your rant, you sat here and said, oh, he would not invite me on his show. Well, Mark, I invited you on my show Friday night. Ain't heard from you Saturday or Sunday or Monday. Did so on Twitter. A producer reached out. Y'all ain't said nothing. Because you know why? Because your little weak ass didn't think I was actually going to do it. You can come on this show anytime and we can have that debate. I'll go on your radio show. I'll go on your Fox show. I'll meet your ass on any street corner in D.C. I'll meet you in a phone booth. I'll meet you anywhere. You can pack the audience with all your fans and i still show up to whoop your ass. Because I ain't afraid of you or nobody else. So you tell me, Mark Levin, when you want to go at it, I'm always ready. I don't even need advance warning. You just say when. See, this right here, Julian, Amakongo, and Renita is what drives them crazy because, see, they think they are the experts on the Constitution. And what they cannot stand is that we are not going to accept a document that never had us in mind. We are going to change it in order to, it, it is relevant in the 21st century. That, Julian, is what drives them crazy because white men like Mark Levin cannot handle the fact that they, just like Bill Maher, they no longer get to call all the shots in 21st century America. And that's why they've been manipulating the law. That's why they've been suppressing the vote. That's why they've been attempting to sideline black voices. And that's why Bill Maher had the temerity to say something about, or, or was the Caitlin, one of them, y'all white people look alike to me, um, but said something about uh, Kamala Harris being off-putting. It is off-putting to have white people opine about people they should not even talk about. That 
Levin person, I don't even know who he is, never heard of him, that lets you know how much TV I don't watch. But <laughs> clearly, his his rant, uh, his rant was so inappropriate and so unlettered, ignorant. We talk about what they don't believe, they don't believe. He doesn't know what we believe. On the Congo? At the end of the day, it, it's it's really sad because you could have really just interchanged Bill Maher and, and Levin in terms of the segments, and it goes straight to your point that whether we're talking about these liberals or conservatives, on some level, some of these guys are the same. And not only, Roland, have we fought to improve this country in every way, shape, or form in terms of making it as good as is promised, we've also fought to improve it for everybody else. There's not a single right that we have earned in this country, that we have fought for in this country, that has not applied to everybody else. When you talk about things like the 14th Amendment, when you talk about policies that have started to exist, like affirmative action that have benefited white women more than anybody else, anything that we've ever gained in this country out of our hard sweat, blood, and tears, we've never just kept for ourselves. People are always talking about this concern about, well, people are concerned about black people becoming part of the majority because they're afraid we're going to do to white people what they did to us. That's not in our nature to do. I mean, when these white men went to fight for the Civil War, there were a lot of black men left at home with these white women. Was there massive slaughters and, and, and destruction going on all, all over these plantations? The black women just uprise and start trying to kill as many black women as possible who are left behind? That's not in our nature to do that. It's not in our nature to be evil and violent, but it is in our nature to fight for justice and to fight for what's right and to make this country as good as it's promised for everybody. And so, Mark Levin, you got to understand that we are never going back. We earned the right to be part of this country because we built this country. And if you don't understand that, then you're the one who has to go back and reread that Constitution because much of the freedoms that have been granted in it were fought, were granted because of what we did and people trying to get paid off the path that we laid. We're going to continue to fight for everybody, but we're, and we're going to make sure in the spirit of, of the Honorable Barbara Jordan, that we are not disrespected because that Constitution speaks for us now, too. And that's why they mad, Renita, because we ain't going nowhere. Right. And I'm with Dr. Malvo, except I'm not going to be as nice about it as she was. Nobody cares about Mark. Nobody cares about Mark's tears. Well, let me say, I don't care. And nobody even really knows who Mark is. And so the reality is, is that these are the type of white men that you see who are always waxing poetically about federalism, states' rights, and how black people don't love the Constitution or even know how to read the Constitution, which is really just a racist trope. No, the Constitution is not black people's Bible, but actually we've done a better job of adhering to the Constitution because I didn't see black people show up to the Capitol and try to burn it down and also try to overthrow the government just because their candidate of choice did not win. The reality is, is that white men like him are freaking out because they are understanding that they are not the only people who will have a voice in this country and they will not automatically just be in charge of everything. And they love democracy until it means that they can no longer be in charge. So bye, Mark. Nobody cares. Well, it's like I told Richard Spencer this when I debated that white supremacist on TV One. Y'all go to it. Tell you you've got to prepare yourself. You've dealt with a bunch of guilt-ridden, silly whites no. all your life, and no. we are waking up. We are recognizing who we are, and we see an amazing future. Well, Richard, so I you better get Richard, ready. I'm telling you right now, Richard. Here's the deal. 1619, 20-odd Africans arrived, Fort Comfort, Virginia, mm -hmm. okay, 1619, 397 years ago. Mm -hmm. Trust me, we're resilient, we're not going anywhere. I, and I'm going to tell you yes. right here, and, and as, as my frat brother, Vertner Woodson Tandy said, 1937, we will fight until hell freezes over, and then we will fight on the ice. You better go work out, because you got to fight on your hands. Thanks a bunch.
That's same for you, Mark Levin. I'll be back in a moment. When we invest in ourselves, our glow, our vision, our vibe, we all shine. Together, we are Black Beyond Measure. Hi, I'm Dr. Jackie Hood Martin, and I have a question for you. Ever feel as if your life is teetering and the weight and pressure of the world is consistently on your shoulders? Well, let me tell you, living a balanced life isn't easy. Join me each Tuesday on Black Star Network for a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. We'll laugh together, cry together, pull ourselves together, and cheer each other on. So join me for new shows each Tuesday on Black Star Network, a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. When we invest in ourselves... We all shine. Together, we are Black Beyond Measure. We're all impacted by the culture, whether we know it or not. From politics to music and entertainment, it's a huge part of our lives. And we're going to talk about it every day right here on The Culture with me, Faraji Muhammad, only on the Black Star Network. Hey, I'm Antonique Smith. Hello, everyone. It's Kiara Sheard. Hey, I'm Taj. I'm Coco. And I'm Lily. And we're SWV. What's up, y'all? It's Ryan Destiny, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. She's bad on type 1 diabetes, all her not life. Now, Marquita Butler wants to help others. She and her husband have developed a customized fitness and dietary plan uh, for those who have diabetes to reach their health goals. Their one rule, you got to keep moving. She joins us right now uh, from Lithonia, Georgia. Marquita, glad to have you here. So you say keep moving, and it's interesting. You know, a lot of people, they, they get focused on, oh, my goodness, you got to be lifting weights and working out and cardio, whatever. Uh, but I've had other people say, look, your body needs to be in constant motion versus being sedentary. Is that what you're saying? Correct, for sure. And so you developed this, uh, and, but really what, what, what led to it? Yeah, yeah, type 1 diabetes, uh, but uh, was, it, was it friends or families who you were seeing having the same problem, and you said, hey, these fo everybody, folks need some help? Um, I'm also a registered nurse, so I take care of these patients on a daily basis. So my goal became to become uh, focused on prevention more so than curing disorders and diseases. Because once you get to the phase of being diagnosed, it's very hard to be cured. So the main thing is you want to live with it and be able to live a healthy as possible life. And when you talk about uh, keep moving, but what do you recommend? Because again, now we hear 10,000 steps may not be the number to hit or whatever. And so uh, what are you suggesting to people about keeping it moving if they don't have a home gym or anything along those lines? Um, find something that's fun for you. You know, get out with the kids, go skating, play basketball, um, play football. Um, run around the neighborhood, fly a kite, you know, just get get that body in motion. That's the main thing. And whatever it is that you that resonates with you, then stay focused on that. You talked about dietary. And so uh, what, what are the basic things that you let folks know uh, that they must do when it comes to their diet? Because trying to get people to drastically change is real hard. 
Yeah, that's very hard. So the main thing is getting adequate water intake. That is the key thing. And the other thing is adding fruits and vegetables to your diet on a daily basis. So whatever it is, I tell people, whatever you normally eat, maybe just cut it in half and then add a salad on the side, add a piece of fruit, and you'll notice a huge difference. You know, instead of having four pieces of fried chicken, you do two. <laughs> and then you have a salad and some fruit on the side. You know, just trying to find a way to balance it out. You're there in Georgia. So, Renita, I'll start with you. A question for Makita. Yeah, thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, a specific question. So a lot of folks found themselves taking all their meetings over the computer and sitting down a lot more um, when we were trying to keep everybody safe from COVID. What do you recommend for folks who might have possibly, who are coming off of two years of sitting down too much? How do they get back into, um, you know, being really active? Because I saw it with your video, you were doing a lot of things that if you've been inactive for two years, you probably won't be doing all of that immediately. So what do you recommend for people to just get back into the habit of being um, active? People are very, um, let's see, kind of, you know, they shy away from just basic walking, walking in your neighborhood, walking in your neighborhood park, you know, just say, hey, today I'm going to do a quarter mile. You know, next week, I'm going to aim for a half of a mile, you know, running up your steps or walking up your steps, you know, just doing getting on the floor, doing some crunches, some push ups, some basic stretching. Stretching goes a long way, especially the older we get, we get stiffer. So that's a very vital part mm -hmm. that should be included in our lives. I'm a Congo. Well, I definitely want to commend you on the incredible work that you're doing and in saving lives. And the, some of those videos made, made my knees hurt. Um, but I really <laughs> give you props. It looks great. Uh, could you speak about the importance of, of community groups and people getting together? Because some people just say, oh, I don't really feel like get, you know working out. But then sometimes they may get a little bit of motivation by, by coming together. Can you speak to, to that and, and its benefits? It's yeah, I, I tell people to challenge your friends, your loved ones, you know, tell them, if you love me like you say you do, come with me to this park. Come mm -hmm. with me to this boot camp. Come with me to this swim meet, you know, or basketball or, you know, just find something to do. And once people get together, you are more likely to be encouraged when you have a partner. So find somebody, even if it's just one or two people, and grab the kids. Like, we're trying to train them to live a healthy life as well. So use them as your workout buddy. You know, they're trying to burn some energy off anyways. So it's very important to include them as well. Uh, Julianne. Sister, first of all, I watched your video, and goodness gracious, I don't think I could do any of that. Uh, so I know what you mean when you see extreme workout. But what does extreme workout mean for someone like a sword ordinary person who does spend probably most of the workday in front of the computer or, you know, at a meeting and basically let her, I let my routine, exercise routine go during COVID. I still walk a lot, but extreme. What does extreme workout mean to an ordinary person? Um, to an ordinary person, it seems like a lot. But I always say start from the, um, start from the basics, you know, Go from, you know, just the walking, the stretching, the moving your arms, the just, you know, up and down. Just get in motion. That's all. Whatever that means for you, just move. Just move. All right. There are folks out there uh, who uh, want to get more information on your fitness and dietary plan. Where do they go? 
Um, they can go to butlersextremetraining.com or they can reach me at Instagram at thegoldengoddess underscore. All right, then. So, look, we appreciate it. Uh, thanks for putting together, uh, and good luck with it. We appreciate it. Thank you much. All right, Renita Makongo, Juliana, I really appreciate y'all being on the show. Thank you so very much. Folks, that is it for me. I'll be seeing y'all for tomorrow from New York City. Tomorrow and Wednesday, I got to go take the appearance tomorrow on The Breakfast Club for my book, White Fear. Be sure to get your copy, folks. White Fear, the, how the brownie of America is making white folks lose their mind. Available at Ben Bella, Brook, ben Bella Books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound, Bookshop, Chapters, Books a Million, Target. You can also download it from Audible or order through your favorite black bookstore. Support us by downloading the Black Star Network app, all platforms, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV, and of course, you could also join our Bring the Funk fan club. See your chicken money orders to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 2003-7-0196. Cash app, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered. PayPal, R. Martin Unfiltered. Z Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zale is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. Folks, I'll see you tomorrow. Ha! My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council.